Welcome back to the Lou Perez podcast. My name is Lou Perez, and I'm happy to report that right now you can order my book. That's right. I wrote a book. It's called That Joke Isn't Funny Anymore on the Death and Rebirth of Comedy. Follow the link in the description or head over to Amazon and search for Lou Perez. That joke isn't funny anymore. If you want other options on how you can buy my book, please sign up for my newsletter at theluperez.com. You could also join my community at theluperez.locals.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you could leave a five-star review, that would be amazing. Whether you're a long-time listener or first-time, five-star reviews are lovely. If you're looking for other ways you can support me, you could do so by supporting my sponsors. If you're into CBD products, please check out PalomaVerdeCBD.com. Use promo code Lou to get 25% off purchases over $75. And if you like cold brew, check out Black Organic Cold Brew at www.blvckbrew.com and use promo code Lou for free shipping. All right, let's go. I am very excited um, for my next guest. Uh, she's a uh, she's an old friend, and I mean old friend, and that we've known each other for a while. Not that she's an old older friend, anything like that. Um, she is a fantastic writer and author, and I own two of her books. Um, the one, the first one that I have of hers is Iris has free time. And this one I'm lucky to have my hands on right now is her newest book. It's called Droll Tales. And here she is, Iris Smiles. Oh, hi. Oh, hi. Me on the show, Mr. Perez. Yeah, well, thank you for taking the time to, to be on it. So we're, uh, uh, this is really exciting. Is, is the book out yet, the new book, Droll Tales? Well, it was supposed to be, but there's a, a paper shortage Mm. Old, so the publication date was pushed to July 5th. So uh, there are, you know, little uh, secret copies being passed around illegally. Well, uh, well I, I, I figure that's why I have mine. It's made yeah. out of paper. So. Yeah, uh, but uh, but it's not legal until July 5th. So some stores are selling it illegally and some people are, you might see some people selling it out of the trunk of their car, uh, you know. Just don't uh, don't tell on them because it, it's a hot item. Right, <laughs> <laughs> it's so it it is so wild when you think about it. Uh, the the idea that there is a paper shortage and it it's impacting you know books. You never. I it, it's funny because I have so many books, but I never actually think of them as paper. I I always think of them as sort of like a resource that'll just always that that you could just always make more of. You know. Yeah, yeah. I, I must say I was very surprised about the paper shortage, but now it seems uh it seems there's, you know, just there's everything's short. Right. There's a shortage of everything. So it's yeah. Uh, slightly alarming. A friend of mine uh told me the other day, well, I had read about it, but I guess I'm just reading so many terrible things every day that I don't really log them anymore. And she said that she was stockpiling uh tampons because of the tampon shortage. I got to get in on that. I got to start hoarding tampons. Well, you should. I mean, uh, actually, and the other day, um, this man uh, who is handy, who I call the handyman, but every time I refer to him as the handyman, my friend Frederick, whom whom you know, Frederick Cotton, um, 
he starts talking as if I'm about to make a porn video or something. He's like, oh, the handyman. But then if I refer to him by his name, he says, who's that? And I say the handyman. So now I just say the handyman. Anyway, the point is, mm-hmm. the handyman was telling me the other day as he was he was uh, helping install something, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> he was telling me, oh, all these shortages. There's a tampon shortage and a baby formula shortage. And wouldn't you know, it's all stuff that affects women. And that just gets on my last nerve. And it seems like it's not an accident that it's the stuff for women. So he was really, you know, I guess uh, uh, appealing to my feminist side, I, I think, or, or well, maybe just well, really fa- not with me. He's out marching and that's it. I don't well, know. I mean, the fact that, I mean, he's on his last nerve, this is shortage of nerves right now. <laughs> so, that, so that's yet another thing to add to the, add to the list. Well, well with the, with the book, um, have you have you done a um, an audio book yet? Well, I haven't, but uh, I believe there's there will be a number of actors. Uh, rec- I won't be doing the audio. An audio book will be released, but uh, they have a a little cast of actors reading it for because there's a number of uh, different narrators in this book. Um, okay, that's cool. It is uh, Iris has free time. Was that ever an audio book as well? It was not. Um, I uh, was was uh, someone wanted to buy the rights for that as an audiobook, but um, they didn't want me to read it, and also they didn't have a connection. I wanted Christopher Walken to read it, if anyone but me was going to read it, and so I turned down the deal. It was it was Audible had made the offer, mm-hmm. and I I turned down the deal, and I thought one day I will cross paths with Christopher Walken, and I will. App- say I've got a project for you. It hasn't happened yet. So I am thinking of maybe trying to maybe releasing the the audio. Unless you know someone who might know someone who can because I feel like you might really like the project. Well yeah. I'm I'm wondering um how long it would take Christopher Walken to do the audio version because of his his you know his cadence and you know just how you know how he re- how he speaks you know normally uh, you know, I'm wondering if that's adding just hours and hours and hours to the recording session. If that's what it what it takes, I right. mean, I think people read uh, read too quickly. When people brag about speed, uh, how quickly they read, it's it's absurd. Speed reading literature, in the same way, it would be absurd right. to put uh, an opera on fast forward and say you had to sit through the whole thing. I got done with it in five minutes. It has, you know, literature has a tempo in the same way that, that music does. But there is an audio book of uh, my second book, Dating Tips for the Unemployed. Um, oh, yes, uh, by some some woman who is not me is, is doing the audio. I just uh, I just started listening to audio books because I've been driving more. And I haven't I haven't done literature, though. I, I don't think I could listen to, uh, you know, a novel or something like that. I am. Um, the book I read, the, the book I listened to, it was uh, it was nonfiction, and it took a while to just get used to the guy who was reading it because he would read. I don't know um, what would a sentence uh, be like. In 1985, there was a man <laughs> who came to town, and he had three. But you know, it was like, it, and it took a it took a long time for me to get used to it. But after a while, like it, you know when you come back to somebody after like listening to them for five hours, you feel like you're coming back to a, a friend. They're no longer a stranger. They're like your handyman in a way. Right. Well, I, I was wondering about that voiceover 
style of voice. Is that because it seems distinctive to audiobooks, the way that they mm. read, and it's sort of not natural. Uh, and I don't, I, I don't, does that improve the experience? I don't know. I also only started listening to, I listened to my first audiobook during the, uh, during the um, lockdown because uh, I just thought I need to, you know, get, go for, a, a, I can't just be, I was looking too much, too many screens, too much reading. I wanted right. You know, so, um, so, and, but similarly, I would also not read a, uh, for me, uh, if I'm going to, for literature, I prefer to read. I, I was listening to this Sean Carroll book, you know, the physicist, I forget which one that I wasn't the particle at the end of the universe. It was the one that's come since, but I can't remember. I also can't retain anything anymore, you know, mm. so in one ear, but in one ear and out. The, uh, whatever that other, th- what was I saying? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> oh, we were, we were talking about uh, audiobooks, and yeah, I wonder if there is a science behind what works for an audiobook. Like, uh, I would imagine that there are people who, uh, you know, are great, you know, spoken word people or performers, but they might not necessarily be able to hold, uh, I don't know, hold someone's attention for like hours upon hours. Uh, it's something that I'm thinking about because I'm going to be doing an audio version of my book. I was going to um, ask you about that. That's exciting. Yeah, yeah um, I mean, there's there's no way I'm getting Christopher Walken to do it. Uh, so I, I'm going to have to just step up and do it. <laughs> um, when is that coming out? In the fall, is that right? So uh, the, the release date is set uh, September, September 5th or 6th. But I brought it up with my with my publisher, um, you know, hearing about, I, I think you may have told me, yeah, that's right. You told me about the, uh, the shortage uh, a little while back when we were trying to figure out a date that we could, um, that we could do this episode. Uh, and I brought it up and I was like, you know, I've been just waiting for this thing to get out, you know, to come out. And one of the reasons why is because it's about comedy and like, well, in the months after I turned it in, just comedians have been dropping dead. So you have like Norm, you have Norm Macdonald and Louis Anderson and Gilbert Godfrey and Bob Sagan. I really want to get it out before another com- another major comedian dies. So. Yeah, <laughs> and that was it. That was it. That, that was our that was our episode. Well, I'm just like trying to follow that. I mean, I did have that. Like, I had the thought when this war broke out, um, uh, and. Um, which one which one and anyway and i thought oh uh i hope i i just hope my book comes out before before we're vaporized if we get bombed right no i just i just want my book to come out first um i made that sort of little prayer also i was thinking about um if i should try and uh build a bomb shelter instead of trying to build a library mm. and I want to build some shelves. Yeah. So I looked into the price of both, uh, but I don't even know by the time I raise the money, cause I have to save the money first to build either one of those things. It might be too late anyway. Yeah. For the bomb well, shelter. Well, there are people who make, I guess they make bomb shelters with, um, abandoned school buses, like old school buses. They'll, they'll dig a, a ditch like a really deep hole and then uh, put the school bus in and then that'll be like 
uh, I guess your uh, uh, outer layer. And then I don't know what you have to put on top. Was it concrete? Is that what uh, what's good to, to stop radiation? I don't know. I mean, that's why I have to hire someone. <laughs> the handyman. That do you, do you is there any chance this handyman guy knows anything about bomb shelters? Because it seems like he's really putting the moves on. He does yeah. know a lot of things. Um, mm -hmm. I haven't asked him about the bomb shelter. I mean, I was. Th I, I I'll have to do a little more, a little more research. But my funds are limited. Even I mean, I, even if I could get my hands on a school bus, I, it doesn't sound that cheap. I no, I, budget option. It's still like. I, I'm still probably going to be vaporized before I build a bomb shelter. Yeah, man. Now, now that you're thinking, now that you bring that up, I'm now I'm kind of wondering, you know, if you know, vape, vaporization is that would that be the word? Uh, uh, or I mean, vaporized if it if, if you're lucky and it goes quickly. Otherwise, yeah. it's like your skin will melt off. Yeah, or or you get the vapors. Right. <laughs> I'd prefer that to just get the vapors like I'm an old lady in a Southern church. Uh, but, but no, you bring, you bring that up and, 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 you know, it's, it's uh, yeah. Making me think like, um, yeah, well, what would I want like my last moments to be or, or where I would want them to be. So, I, I mean, I definitely want to be, you know, holding my, my children, but you know, You're more than one now, two. Yeah, I got two. When did you do the other one? When did I do the other one? <laughs> when did we when did we conceive that dude? I don't know. I'm trying to do the math. He's he's uh, oh he yeah, just turned eight, he just turned 8 months. The the youngest is 8 months now. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. And what is his name? His name is Matteo. And uh, the oldest is Andreas. So Andreas and Matteo. Dre and Teo. Where we're we're trying to get like a boy band kind of yeah, thing going. K-pop. That sounds very Sounds very good. Are are they going to write their own music or? Um, Ooh, well, uh, or are they going to do covers. I th I think I think right now they're going to do covers. Um, Andreas is very into um, the soundtrack for Cars and the soundtrack for Planes. If you if you're not familiar with with Cars, that's the Lightning McQueen uh, uh, cartoon. Um, uh, Paul Newman uh, had a role in it, and uh, was it Owen Wilson? Owen Wilson voices McQueen, and then Planes is a really shitty version of Cars, except with airplanes. And uh, it's the I think the main voice is Dane Cook in that. These are cartoons. These are cartoons. These are movies. There, there are multiple movies. I think there were three Cars movies, and then I think two Planes movies and uh uh the soundtrack for cars we uh there's a version of life is a highway and there's a, a cheryl crow song so so that comes on and then my andreas sings there's a part where that goes woo and then he does that and uh and then in planes there's it planes that they came out in like 2010 2011 so if you can go back in time and and, and just imagine you know what kind of rock music was big at that time you know, that's kind of with a soundtrack that's happening. Um, and uh, and he needs to hear that. So, yeah, I'm thinking covers at first. <laughs> okay. Long answer to a, to, a, to a question. Yeah, I think he's going to be doing covers. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, you know, let me know when they uh, when they get the group together and stuff. I'd have to go to a show. Okay. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, right now uh, they're uh, – you know they're they're finding themselves as artists. You know they're 
Mateo's like still putting, you know, stuff in his mouth. He's trying to test, you know, the, the waters and, and all that. So he's finding his voice. He's finding his voice. Do you remember what you were like as a kid? Uh, well, at what age? Right. Well, yeah. Uh, earliest memory. Do you have an earliest memory? I have one, but. Well, you know, I'm not sure because when I was, when I was little, I, I told my parents that I, I, I remembered, uh, things and they were like, no, you don't. <laughs> so now I don't remember it. Cause I just assumed that, uh, I was wrong. Mm about that so uh earliest memory i i don't know what uh it doesn't go in order i don't know mm. i guess i remember sort of napping in nursery school i really really didn't like that yeah um i really didn't like uh when adults uh took my hands during baby hands up and raised them during you know during that you know that song baby hands up i, I think so it was like a pre-Macarena thing. Hands up, baby, hands up. Hands up. Your, give me your heart, baby. Give me your heart, baby. Yeah, yeah. yeah and my whole family, every time I'd go to uh, my family in Greece, when I when we'd go to Greece and they'd put the song on for all of us to dance, they'd also put the duck song on, which was fine. And I liked it better because then they would target me because I was the youngest and put my hands up. And I was like, I'm a sophisticated woman. Why can't you see that? <laughs> This, I get it's the same thing now. I feel like you know, people really condescend to me, they don't understand. They're still raising my hands during baby hands up. You're gonna be on my deathbed and they're gonna be raising my hands during baby hands up, Man. metaphorically. Metaphorically, yeah, that, that's right. I, the, my, the, I think the earliest memory that I have, I, I don't know how old I was, but I'm lying in my parents' bed and I'm like half awake, half asleep. And I see floating above me a bottle with orange juice and I go to reach it and grab it and I can't grab it because it's, it's a dream. So it, it, the, the bottle is a dream. And uh, yeah. You were hallucinating orange juice or you were half, this is a baby dream. This is a baby dream. I think I was half, I, I think I was like, what, what, what's, the, what, what's the line from uh, J. Alfred Prufra? The dream you have as a baby yeah. of orange yeah. Yes. Isn't that weird? <laughs> Isn't that weird? You were thwarted. Yeah. I got what's it? What's the TSL? It's a, like a patient etherized on a table. Like I, I, I was sort of in the sort of a awake, uh, halfway between awake and, and uh, sleeping. So, and then uh, the the other memory I have, uh, it was in pre K, and that's when I told like a big lie. I I was like the first lie that I can remember telling. And I, I, I told my I told my teacher about this really cool toy I had where I could like you could take it and it could become a gun or it could become a rocket ship. And you know, I'm telling I'm I'm telling you know, this just listening to her, I'm just getting a sinking feeling of sad, right? So poor thing. Was yeah. it horrible because you realized as you were telling it that she wasn't buying it? You know, I, I I think I only realize that now. You know, like I I I was wondering if you know maybe as a as a kid, and she's like, "You lying little bastard! You little piece of shit! You lied to me, just like all the men in my life. Another man lying to me, and then and then she just quit pre teaching pre K. You destroyed her career. Yeah, I destroyed that woman. So, man.
So, Droll Tales. I got. I have to. I have a confession. I think the word "droll" is one of those words that I pretend to know what it means, but I don't. I don't really know, know what it is. I like the. I like the title a lot. Um, but what does "droll" mean? Let me see if I if I got it right. Well, it means uh, amusing, uh, but in a sort of un, uh, funny, but in a kind in an uh, unusual way. Got it. In an unexpected or unusual way. Nice. How long are you working on this one? Well, uh, quite a long time. I mean, some of the stories in there, I, 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 I started, uh, how old am I? 20 years ago. Oh, wow. Some of them I uh, finished uh, last, this past fall. So, um, yeah, I've been working on it a, a long time, I guess, is the answer. But that's how I like to write uh, in to revise and revise and revise. And by that, I don't mean I'm not changing small things, but it often changes form so that what I end up with is often extremely different from what I started with. I mean, there's one story in there where the only thing left of the original story is um, is uh, a guy goes to the dentist. Mm-hmm. Oh, and another thing where someone refers to having been to the theater earlier, and the original story was all about being at the theater. Now it's just like they just refer to being at the theater. So it really changes uh, a lot as they go through. As yeah. I yeah. Uh, no, it's a, it's a it's so interesting when you put it that way because I've been um, since I mean even before we we met each other I was I've been doing I was doing comedy and and for those of you who um, maybe we should have introduced this earlier but uh, Iris and I went to to graduate school together so we were in uh, an MFA program at, at City College um, and Iris is definitely uh, you know one of those peers that you know is just incredibly talented and such a great uh, just a great writer and great insight and and hilarious and um, before I, I met Iris, I was I was still I was doing uh, comedy, so I was doing sketch comedy and um, maybe a little bit of stand up. Maybe stand up came later. Uh, so I was sort of navigating these two worlds of wanting to write uh, creative fiction, but then also doing doing comedy. And for a lot of like sketches and stuff like that, it's sort of like you write it, and you know, yeah, you, you know, you do drafts, but it's sort of they're kind of done once they're performed or you put, or you record them and, and you put them out there. So the idea of having, you know, some stories that are like, you know, tw- upwards of 20 years old that have been developing and all that, it's such, it's, uh, uh it's, it's very different than, um, I, I think a, a lot of people are, are used to when they're doing creative stuff, especially now. I've never written a sketch before. So that sounds, that sounds like a whole different thing. I don't know. Uh, I know that you were also at that time uh, uh, writing uh, the pornography. Oh, that that's right. That's oh, right. Yeah. I, uh, the erotica. The erotica. That's right. I, yeah. yeah I, I started the MFA program and I was working during the day writing erotic fiction. And I, I was very impressed by, by you uh, because of, of all these things, but also the erotica. I was like, wow, he's, he's a published author. Get a load of this guy. Normal. Don't make a fool of yourself. Smiles. Did and, I? Did I? Or did I sort of play it down? And 
<laughs> no, you put you put it down. But then you know, I asked you, I asked you to dance that, that one night, and I said, you know, baby, hands up, baby, hands up, and you were you were just not having it. You're like, here we go again. Yes. Um, yeah. Well, that yeah, that that was sort of yeah, because I remember. Uh, you don't have an erotic that you've been revising for twenty years, do you? <laughs> for, tw for twenty years. Oh my god. Uh, actually, one of the I would love to write a uh, an erotic novel, uh, and I'm um, trying to figure out. I mean, I don't have, I don't have any time, you know, so it would have to be, it would have to be something where, uh, I don't know, uh, where there's maybe money involved <laughs> where someone pays me to write it, but I don't know. I, I don't know who the hell would pay me to write an erotic novel. Yeah, there's no market for something like 50 shades of gray or anything. Right. Yeah. <laughs> if only people were interested in sex if only. <laughs> and you could follow your vision. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever read that? I'd never read that book. No, I, I, di I did not, uh, nor did I see the movie, but I, uh, I did go on a date last year. Um, and I, well, I was going out with this guy uh, and he said after dinner, we, we were at his house and he said, want to watch Fifty Shades of Grey? And I said, no. And I, I thought that was very, very bizarre. Uh, so I suggested we watch Harold and Maude. Mm. And then, and then, and then we did. And then I was like, "Wow, it's really bizarre that I suggested this." He's going to think I'm such a weirdo. But then later on, I asked him why he should suggested Fifty Shades of Grey because it was just so strange to me. And he's like, "I don't know. Heard it was sexy." And I guess he was trying to just like get me get me sexed up and yeah, move or something. And then I'm like, "Here, Harold and Maude," and just foiled his his plan. Uh, I didn't mean to. But that anyway, is, I, I think I would have been really turned off. I don't know. The, yeah. The idea of watching, I feel embarrassed just thinking about watching uh, Fifty Shades of Grey or, mm. or something like that, or any, any kind of romantic or sexual movie with, uh, with, an, with another person. It's weird. Well, it's, it's weird to be like, well, for him to think this is what, you know, is going to get, both of us in the mood, a movie that I've never, you know, seen before, as opposed to just, you know, you know, c coming out and just, and just putting on like, so what kind of porn you into? And then, you know, right. finding yeah, a scene. He put on Kenny G. What? <laughs> he put on, well, I thought you were going to say versus putting on, just putting on Kenny G. Well, oh. I thought like putting on music and then coming towards me with both hands. Like <laughs> <laughs> um, that's, I feel like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. No one has ever approached me with the let's watch an erotic, an erotic movie. Right. Uh, things keep getting worse. Sorry. No, no, no. It's a dark place. <laughs> well, it's been a while since I've. Uh, I mean, I've been with my my wife. We we started dating when I was like, I think we're going on eight or nine years uh, together. You know, exclusively. Oh. You know, going steady. Um, so I don't. You know, I don't. I don't really know what, what dating is like now, you know, or what people necessarily are, you know, or, you know, what, well, I guess everybody's different as far as like what turns people on, but um, I don't know. I don't know either. I mean, I don't really date every once in a while. I uh, relent and give, give in to a date. And then that's my fill for, for the, for the rest of it, for the rest of the, 
you know, two years. It's like eating at Denny's where you're just like, it's been a while. You're hungry. I'll stop there. And then you eat there and you're like, Ooh, that's why I never eat at Denny's. I'm not going to eat there ever again. And then a few years pass and you're in Georgia trying to drive to Florida and there's a Denny's it's like that. Yeah. So, I'm, like, so I'm sorry if you like Denny's. <laughs> That was uh, that was my favorite restaurant up until you ruined it. Perkins. Perkins. What, where's what's that? Is that a southern? It was another. Uh, I don't know if they're still in, but yeah, Perkins was a big southern chain, very much like Denny's. Wow. I actually, I've I've grown um, fond of places like McDonald's. Like there were there was a time when when we just when we first moved to our uh, our house and we're we're kind of away from. Uh, a little ways away from, um, you know, civilization. Well, if you define civilization as like a McDonald's. So there was a time <laughs> where, where my wife was like, you know, you just drove a half hour to go to McDonald's and to come, you know, to go, you know, come back. Like you, you just spent an hour of your life to go get McDonald's, but I was enjoying it. You know, I was enjoying the um, Big Mac and nuggets. Well, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened to me. I understand. Uh, when I remember, I, I haven't eaten, well, actually, I had McDonald's once last year for the first time in a long time. But when I was in college, I remember it was, it was a terrible rainstorm, and I splurged for a cab to get to McDonald's because they had the dollar menu. Mm. I spent money on a cab to get that deal. <laughs> and and, I, and now you're like, how much was that cab? Like, did it really? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. You went to, did you go to NYU? As an undergrad? Yes, I did. Well, wait, now it's coming back. So you went to NYU and then you used to be used to teach too, right? Uh, yes, I went to NYU um, to, to Tish as an undergraduate to study uh, dramatics. I wanted to be an actress. Then uh, I transferred to Gallatin to have more academics, but stay flaky. I didn't know you went to Gallatin. I, I... I went to Gallatin. I know. God, you don't remember our, our conversations at all. I mean, I was recording everything. Of course. <laughs> yeah. I had the handyman transcribe it for me just this afternoon. Bring up my notes. <laughs> I'm this podcast. Um, so I'm looking at it right now. Uh, but <laughs> yes. And then, uh, and yeah. And then I used to be a, a teacher. I taught middle school for a little while in the city. And um, and then uh, I met you in graduate school, which normally I don't. I, I like to keep that under wraps that I attended graduate school, mm. um, uh, because I yeah. So I, but um, and then uh, we were both teaching at City College. We were both doing our. Oh, do you remember? Do you remember the who was the who was the adjunct? Um, no, we were adjuncts. Who was the professor? Um, the guy he used to show up like forty minutes late. He was teaching a, a humanities uh, lecture. Yes, I don't remember because I did that. I think I taught that class a few times. I can't remember his name. I, I I've lost all my memories. Um, yeah, th this was you know you hear a lot of you know stories about uh, professors uh, with tenure who you know. You know, aren't doing the best job. This guy, I think class was at maybe 9 a.m. It might have been even earlier than that. Say class was at 9 a.m. There were days where this guy would show up at 945 
and turn to the class of freshmen. And this is a course. It was like great books or something like that. Turn to the class of freshmen and say, any questions? Like there was no actual, you know, teaching going on, no lecturing going on. It's awful. And then I, I found out later he had a brain cancer. So ah. I don't know. If, I don't know if that if, if if he had brain cancer, like the kind of brain cancer that makes you a lazy asshole. Jeez. I don't know if I if we were. I think I didn't. I don't remember that uh, experience. I think maybe you were um, working with a different professor. There was one semester where I worked, you know, as a with a professor, and then a couple of others where they entrusted me with my own class, which was even worse. And one of my techniques is I had to give them all these classics, which I had only be- just barely read. I mean, as an undergraduate, maybe some of them I pretended to read. And then I'm, since I'm going to teach it, I'm like, well, I better learn a little bit about Dante if I'm going to be teaching it. Right. But then they would ask me questions. I'm like, how should I know? So I had this, I call it defensive teaching. Like <laughs> driving. I had these strategies when they would ask me questions about about something, about the Inferno or the Odyssey, um, I would just say, that's a good question. That's a good topic for discussion. Let's open this for discussion. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I did the same thing when I was teaching middle school uh, with spelling. I started the year <laughs> um, dyslexic. So I began the year by saying, every once in a while, I'm going to write a, a, a spelling, mis- I'm gonna incorporate a spelling mistake in your homework or on the board and whoever catches it gets extra credit. So every time one of those smart ass kids would be like, it smiles. I'm like, very astute. Well done. Extra points for you. Plus five. Did they, do they, did any of them ever try to spell check your name? So like smile, not with a Y, it's with an I. No, they didn't do that. And uh, by, by the way, speaking of my mind deteriorating, I was signing books the other day and I actually, I didn't spell my name wrong, but I was, I'd lost the ability to write my first name and was just, I wrote my last name twice. <laughs> and then I guess I was nervous or something. So I had to cross cause I was, I was talking to a, to a, to a handsome suitor. So I had to cross the name out and then really concentrate on writing it, writing my first name. I think I got it. Got well, some angles in there. Well, how, how did that come about? Um, do people come up to you to sign books or do you do them bef- beforehand? And recognized in the streets. They say, excuse me, are you famous author Iris Smiles? And I say, please, call me Miss Smiles. <laughs> um, I was, um, oh, well, I had, um, I had a, a sort of a book launch this Saturday, uh, an event out in Sag Harbor called The Droll Ball. You see, the launch was scheduled before the publication date was pulled, pushed back. For my, for my launch, I, I held a, a seance during which I appeared live with the spirit of Marcel Proust. Mm. Uh, and we, uh, you know, t- talked about my, my work and my process. Cause if you- <laughs> yeah. so Proust was helping me launch my, my book, I hired a psychic medium. So it was legit. It's not was like, it a, was it the long Island medium? Cause, I, cause there was one. I did write to her cause I thought, well, that would be nice since I'm a long Island girl. But no, I ended up going, uh, using a, a different medium and it was very interesting. I prepared some questions because Proust is one of my favorite writers. And if you're going to, you know how you get nervous if you're meeting, you know, a hero. So I didn't want to blow it. Uh, But it went well, it went nice. But anyway, and so in that situation, I ended up, I ended up signing some books. 
Nice, nice. I, I know you, you had an uh, an event in the city. I think like it was a Tuesday night. I I, I wasn't able to uh, to make it. I wasn't able to come down. My apologies. I, well, I, I noticed in the throngs. I was like, "Where's Lou?" There's like 300 people there, but I kept searching and searching and searching. Have you seen her? Have you seen Lou? Has anyone been in touch with him? Is 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 he okay? Uh, does he have his phone? Can can you text him or something? Yeah, I almost um, sent everyone home because I was like, "What's the point if Mr. Perez isn't here?" <laughs> I filtered on after some coaxing. Yeah. Um, so, Sam, uh, Sag Harbor, are you guys are, are you from uh, Suffolk County originally? Yes, uh, yeah. uh, the middle of the island, Dix Hills, where John Coltrane went to die, and uh, LL Cool J. Uh, cool J uh, uh, you know, sprung up. You know, I uh, I have a I have a, a little anecdote about LL Cool J. So I went to I went to St. Mary's High School in Manhasset, Long Island, and uh, there was a TGI Fridays, which was like a frequent uh, haunt for us. That's where we go. I'd always get order of buffalo wings and a Caesar salad. Manhasset, then- that's so fancy. How, why mm-hmm. did I think you were uh, from? Oh, I'm not from Manhasset. I'm from Little Neck. Uh, I uh, I went to high school. I just went to high school in Manhasset. Oh, yeah. So so one day at, at at TGI Fridays, and I was there with my my friend from high school, Kevin McCabe. We were eating, and who's over in the booth across the way? But LL Cool J, and um, we went over to to say hi, and he was very nice uh, about you know us saying hi. And I asked him. I said, "Hey, do you work out?" And he laughed, and he's like, "Yeah, a little bit," because he's a he was. Just uh, that was like him and definitely his heyday being, you know, jacked. Um, so that's my LL Cool J. I, I have, his, I have a, one of his uh, workout books, LL Cool J 360. It's a total lifestyle and workout uh, plan. He gives you like inspiring tips for just like life advice, nutrition, and different squat techniques. He's, uh, is there any, is there a chapter on licking your lips? Because he does that a lot. I should go back and review. It's a while since I've since I've read it. Yeah, uh, Jamie, we're we're all over the place. But Jay, uh, Jamie Fox, the incredible actor, musician, comedian, uh, he was in a he was in a movie with LL Cool J. I think it was the the not the Longest Yard, but um, oh my god, oh god, I forget what it. Oh my, how am I forgetting it? Uh, uh, Al Pacino was in it, and he was and I he and LL didn't get along, I guess on set. And he said it, uh, I think he said like at one point, LL was like, come on, let's go, let's go. As if it was like a real game, as if they were playing like a real game. Uh, so I guess he got really into the role and then they had a fight. And I think, I don't know if he punched Jamie Foxx or smacked him or something. I don't think LL would ever do something like that unless this man deserved it. That it, he, he, he may have, you know, we don't know. We don't know what, uh, we don't know what was going on in the locker room. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of he said, he said. Um, <laughs> but man, it's so funny, like how 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 uh, much we have common as far as our our life, our our paths. You know, so close to Long Island, NYU. Yes. Look at that. And then City College. And City College. Do, do you you said that you don't like people or you know people knowing that. We're talking about going to to graduate school. Yeah, what what is it? Is there is is it a, like a less romantic, you know, sort of idea of being an author? Like the idea of like, oh, you've had some training, or uh... well, I, I don't think. I mean, I don't keep it a, a 
a, a secret. I, I do think I notice it's become it's become commonplace that uh, in people's um, in authors' uh, bios, mm. they all say uh, where they got their writing degree from as if it's, you have to have a writing degree. And now it's gotten even worse. Not only do they refer to their MFA, they say she got her MFA as if it's like a certification required, like like mm. a dental school. Like, and, and so she is now uh, licensed to practice fiction. And so I don't think that there's, it's fine. There's nothing, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, for me, it's not about, it's not about, it's just that I was, I mean, the reason I went to graduate school really is just because I was couldn't kind of pull myself together to, you know, so I guess I was sort of buying time and legitimacy mm. to sort of, you know, figure myself out more um, or delay certain aspects of adulthood. It was like a halfway house for, for you know, for uh, for kids who just don't want to grow up. That's how that's how it was for me, um, and um, but but yeah, but I do I do feel that that there's this like this reliance on and a lot of the the graduate schools the institutionalization of art has made it so it's turned and even the way that it's talked about that people talk about it as a, a writing as a craft mm. rather than an art a craft a craftsman is different from an artist and there is some i guess that there are some techniques you can learn but it's not basket weaving uh, although so much contemporary fiction does read like uh you know basket weaving like effective effective craftsmanship without much artistry so um well yes so that's what i think about that <laughs> little rant actually though it could have been much longer i told myself turn it down i was <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, I, well, I think, uh, I was, I was lucky, you know, you talk about, you know, kind of like graduate school as a way to sort of put off adulthood. Um, and, uh, fortunately the school that we went to wasn't that expensive, you know, so it's sort of, we were able to put off adulthood without being saddled with just an insane amount of debt. And, uh, I, I don't, I forget where else I applied, but I think city college was the only graduate program I got into. I didn't get into Columbia. I didn't get into NYU. And looking back, it's like, Oh my, thank God. Because the prospect of, you know, spending what at that time, I think upwards of like, you know, 60 to 80 grand to, you know, to, to, to study, to study writing. Yeah, that just seemed well, like. And with uh, that, I think with those expensive programs too, then what you have, then there's a lot of pressure to conform to, you know, the going standard, sort of the house style or whatever the professor, because you want to turn, you know, to monetize it. There's a greater you know, need, so there's less room for exploration. So I sort of, uh, I liked our our ragtag school. Yeah, um, it was kind of fun and interesting and learning. I mean, well, we both had the chance to teach. Um, I met my uh, my closest friend and mentor there, Frederick Tutton, right. the author of The Bar at Twilight, which everyone should read. You should get his new book. Uh, is, that the, is that the new one? Yeah, this came out last uh, month. 
to great acclaim. It's a beautiful collection of short stories. So as soon as you're done reading Droll Tales, go out and get that or buy them at the same time. <laughs> um, but I met, I met him there and he was a really, you know, he really, what was great about him is that uh, I, I think you would agree. He didn't, he was, he never pressed uh, any students to, to adopt a particular style. Mm. He taught, he's had many students who have gone on to great success and they all write in completely different ways. And he really had a great way of sort of seeing what you're doing and encouraging you towards that and helping you towards that without interfering and saying, no, write this way. Cause that's what I prefer. Um, and so he was just a, a great, very, just really inspiring. Certainly he really helped me to take myself uh, seriously mm. Um, and not, you know, like many other people, like, well, when you're done with that writing stuff, then you can get a, you know, get a real job and, and just teach full time. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah. I had, um, I think I had two workshops with, uh, with Fred Tutton and then I think, and then two with, um, uh, Mark Mursky and, uh, yeah, no, I think you really, you really nailed it. Like I, they're, they're uh, times when I, you know, I look back and I'm like, oh man, we really, there were really great writers and a really great hang too with a lot of uh, people in our program. Um, and it was one of those, it was one of those schools like, you know, unlike uh, you know, Columbia or NYU or these other places where you would have to be able to shell, you know, shell out that much money to study mm -hmm. and then also take time away from if you had a day job. Like, I don't know. Uh, if people, if too many people could actually, you know, go full time uh, to those programs. But in our program, we had, you know, people who, you know, uh, had, had other careers and stuff. Yeah. Teacher, all, all sorts yeah. of people, people coming into it from all different places in life. So I thought it was, I really, I, I like that. Um, and, and it, you know, did you, did you say it was romantic or did I just think that? What oh, uh, the the well, uh, I said not the idea of of, not, of being a writer without going to uh, grad school. It's like a romantic idea of the writer. You know, oh, like, I think you said it was a great hang. That's yeah. what I was thinking. And then I was thinking I had memories of of us when we were um, just some of us. And I remember one t one day uh, walking with you after uh, one of the last workshops. I think it was. Frederick's workshop and we it was it was held at Car Carla Garrick uh, yeah. had held it at her house uh, uh, so we could have a little celebration for the class and we were we walked home together and had one of these things that I used to love so much about New York just these kind of long rambling walks and talks where you're just kind of talking about nothing and just laughing and and that always, I feel like that's kind of the romance of, of New York City and, and being young. And I, I sort of, actually, there's a, there's a story in this book that I was thinking of that kind, that experience that I've had on a few occasions with a few people, those kinds of just walks where you're just kind of cracking jokes. And, and it just feels a bit, you know, charmed. The sun is out and you just feel and the city is yours. I don't know. I mean, what was your experience of New York? That did you ha have that feeling of New York, or were you just like, God, I wish I was home already? <laughs> Who is this? 
broad. No, no, you're you're, you're giving up. you're giving me chills. No, that no, I totally. Uh, it's been a very long time since I've had those the those feelings, but I know exactly what what you're what you're talking about. Um, and then also the, the the moments too, where it's like I should probably get back home and go to sleep, but I should probably stay out and not go to sleep because it's so perfect. You know what what's happening? Yeah. Um, wow. Thanks for transporting me there, Iris. I gotta, I gotta find that story in in, in Droll Tales. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I God, I, what was? Uh, I was what twenty five when I started the program, so it's like fifteen years ago. Um, that's it's a long time. Well, you were twenty five. That's funny because I was. I remember thinking of you as like a real youngster, but I was six. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that was, I think that was before I could grow a beard. I don't think I could grow a beard at that time. I think the most I could grow was like a, a goatee. Yeah. Um, Small. You hadn't, you hadn't grown to your full height yet. That's right. Um, You know, I was still, I was going to get there one day. You wait and see. Look at at you now. You've got all this hair. All this hair. You got two kids. Two kids, all this hair. People actually point out like, I, I mean, my, my hairline has gone back a little bit, but it's funny, um, you know, doing comedy and and uh, commentary and, and all that online. Like how many times people will like, you know, go after my looks and be like, and think that calling out the fact that I have a big forehead is somehow going to, you know, disturb me or, you know, ruin my day. It's like, yeah, I got a big noggin and it just keeps getting bigger and wider. And I there's not much I can do about it. But I remember there was a time when, you know, the hairline was a little, little closer to the, to the eyebrows. You know, it happened. So we they, were there. They come at you. I, I mean, I haven't noticed that. I think you just look, you know, distinguished and, and handsome. Um, <clears throat> I mean, otherwise, you, you got to have some, some forehead. You got, you got to. Um, <clears throat> I know what you mean. You know, I, I used to have this. Well, I might still. I hope that they're not watching or listening. Uh, this kind of, I wouldn't call them a stalker, but like a stalker light. They were sending me um, magazine subscriptions, <laughs> like like a lot of them, and, and the bad magazines. Oh. So it was nothing that I. They were very careful not to send me something that I would actually want to read. There was no like New York Review of Books. It was like Guns and Ammo, House and Garden, weird, just weird stuff. And but here's the thing: they were sending it to me, but they would instead of my name. They would have an insult, but they had looked looked up my address. It's actually it's pretty creepy, but it looked found my address. And they'd followed me to two homes with this, uh, um, and they would write, you know, by filling out those cards, I guess. And so then you would just get the magazine and get billed for it, and they would just come up with all these names, like 70, 80, 90 different names, and they were like uh, uh, Iris Big Nose, Iris Can't Write. Uh, Iris, big feet, flat ass smiles. Flat ass smiles. That is. Also, I mean, there was uh, Iris is old. Iris is so old. Like, what's creepy is this person spent, you know, to hand write yeah. those things, spent a lot of unhinged hours thinking about how to how to get at me. Uh, I, I, I shouldn't have said that probably because if they're watching this don't thank you 
That's, that's plenty. Did you, you never found, you never found out the identity of the person? No, no. Um, yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, but it was those kinds of like the, uh, those kinds of insults mm -hmm. to my, uh, you know, to my, to my nose. But I mean, I don't think saying someone has a big nose is, is an is an insult. It's just an observation. But it, it sort of it, it is insulting when people to me when people suggest it's an insult. Uh, sometimes I refer to myself as having a big. I'll describe myself as having a big nose, and uh, some friends will rush to say, "Oh no, it's it's beautiful." And I said, "Of course it is, but it's but I, I said it was big. I didn't say it wasn't precious." <laughs> like, right? Why are you introducing this negativity? Yeah. Yeah, I, I had an experience where um, it was on Twitter, and um, I guess I was, you know, in a Twitter argument uh, with a with a woman, and she put a she posted a picture of me, and said basically like 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 you like you're one to talk about your looks, and I was I, I had commented on a, a particular mask that she had been wearing, so I wasn't commenting on her looks, um, and then I responded by saying you know, calling her like a, a Michigan four or something like that. And to which she responded by, 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 uh, calling me a, a misogynist. And, uh, I, I had a, uh, I guess a follower, a fan of mine who, who pointed out, he's like, wait, he's like, wait a minute, you attack his looks and then he turns it around and attacks your looks. And then you call him a misogynist. And it's like, I mean, if you want to, you know, if you want to go that route, you know, of, of, uh, you know, goofing on somebody's looks, then you got to be able to take it. I think. So. Yeah, that's uh, that's it's yeah, that's terrible. What what was this? I I understand so, this one time. Uh, I'd I had a uh, an essay in the in the Times about like a funny essay about not calling people back before that was not calling people, but only texting before that was yeah. uh, was commonplace. Uh, now nobody. Now it's like an act of terrorism if you call someone, which is why I do it. Um, <laughs> well, I just need to connect. <laughs> but um, but anyway, so I wrote this essay, and this woman found my email and reached out to me, and she said, "I well, uh, thank God, I thank God, I I I don't thank God, I, I'd never have a friend like you. I I'd never want to have a friend like you. It was this nasty thing, just like this mean little attack." I don't know what, why she took it personally. It was like a funny little essay um, about just kind of avoiding people for whatever reason. And so I wrote back to her and I said just something like sincere about, you know, thanks for hurting my feelings. And then <laughs> instantly sort of shrug, like for, for reaching out in order to just like give me this little bit of poison. And then she instantly like apologized Wow. And it seemed to feel really bad, which then made me feel bad. I want to say that we became great friends after that, but that was, it ended there. Uh, uh, but yeah, you didn't want her as a friend. I think it was a strange impulse. Maybe this impulse, like to what you're saying, I think sometimes uh, people just sort of, you know, they, they throw tomatoes and they don't really recognize the humanity of a, of a, of that like person who they see as like up on a platform for that for that moment. So it sort of gives them license to behave in this really uh, inappropriate 
way. I mean, would, would that woman in real life, if she were talking with you and you had said something that she disagrees with, would you, would she have said like, well, you're, you're ugly. Right. Whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, I think, I, I think there, there's definitely part of it, uh, you know, not being able to recognize the humanity and the person on the other side of the screen. But I also think that part of it is uh, there's this fantasy of being able to hurt or to, you know, destroy someone else without any repercussions. So, or, 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 or kind of like, I, I'm, I'm 40 and I still have like these fantasies of like fight fantasies where I'm going to take that guy and ragdoll him and throw him around and he won't be able to punch me or anything like that. And it's like, that's a fantasy Lou that there, there, there's no way. And I'm not, I'm, I'm, it's not like a particular guy or anything like that, but it's like, it's a fantasy that you have where you are somehow going to fight somebody, whether it's physically or verbally, and they're not going to be able to respond or to fight back. And the reality is it's like, no, people oftentimes fight back, especially if somebody's used to it. I think, yeah. And I think even in, well, there's that idea of like having, like having the last word, right? Right, right. You know, yeah. there, there is no, like the only people who get the last word are in like sitcoms because they say it and then the audience cheers and then the script ends and the mm-hmm. person like walks away ashamed. But in reality, whomever you said, like in real life, if you've said something to someone who, by the way, deserves it, they're going to come back with something just like mean and all, and you will just be tumbling with them for a long time. And really the, 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 yeah, you never, I think you just, what I've learned is you just sort of, you can't win. You can only cut your losses when you get involved in, in this kind of thing. Um, And also, yeah, I mean, I think if you're, yeah, if you're telling someone off who really deserves it, they're definitely not going to give you the satisfaction of it. Probably the mm-hmm. only person who would give you the last word is someone who doesn't deserve it because they're so wounded by what you've said, in which case now you sit with that guilt. I hope. Oh, my God. Yeah. No, I, I think you really hit it. Yeah, you really nailed it. Um, so, so you have um, so obviously you've had you know examples of people who've come at you through various weird ways, like sending you guns and ammo magazine. Um, what what's it been like as far as you know uh, your fans who enjoy your work? What's that relationship or relationships like? Like how do you handle that? Well, uh, for me, I seem to have skipped straight to the uh, to the. You know, I'm not I'm not famous, but I've skipped straight to the you know the perils of of fame, which is having a stalker <laughs> or getting hate mail. Um, no, that's not totally true. I did have I had. Uh, one t- one time, this it was I was I was I was recognized by a woman in the street in in New York. Of, of course, while I was sitting on the side of the road, wait, I was waiting for the bus, and I was like, I can't, I just can't stand. So I sit down like a savage, sitting on the sidewalk, <laughs> sitting waiting for the jitney. And this woman walks by, and then she walks back, and she says, "Oh my God, are you Iris Smiles?" I'm like, I, I actually, th- I, I thought it was like a canned, candid camera thing or just some weird practical joke. Um, she was my one fan and she had found me and she recognized me. She even, she said, start, apparently started following me on Instagram and even recognized my stuffed animals, which I travel with, uh, Elephantitis and Lucius. She's like, oh my God, there's Elephantitis and Lucius. <laughs> That's my, my, uh, my, my loyal fan. I love her very much. 
you know, because I think, well, personally, I don't, I don't know. I, I have, I regard writing as a very personal thing. I felt very touched and connected to, uh, to certain writers when, uh, growing up and still now when I read a great book, I feel like, oh, I found, I found a friend across time and space and sort of, I get, and I get along better with them than, you know, Christine in the cafeteria or down the block who's mean today. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, so I, I do, so yeah, I mean, I write the books cause I really, I'm, my soul's in there. So if someone, reads it and it means something to them. I feel like, oh, I found the person that I wanted to speak to. So that is a really, really positive experience. It's very, it just makes me feel a little less alone in the world, you know? Friends yeah. are hard, you know, kind of friends are hard to come by. I, I'm not I'm not friends with this person. I just mean that sense of connection. Sure. And communication, you know? So much of life is so much talking, but not that much real connecting. Yeah. Well, Iris, you are a friend of mine and I'm very proud of you. And um, I don't want to get choked up, but it's been a while since I've, I've spoken with you and um, thanks for bringing back. I don't know you <laughs> uh, for people who, um, who know you, you're um, you're uh, you're a very special person and a great writer. And um Thank you for you know sharing your uh, uh, time with me tonight, and for sharing time uh, back in the day on those long strolls through uh, romantic New York City. And um, please, everybody, go out and get Droll Tales. Iris has free time, and um, all of her stuff. So thanks, Iris. Thank you, Lou. Thank you for having me on your show. Thank you so much for listening. And again, please order my book, That Joke Isn't Funny Anymore, on the death and rebirth of comedy. Just follow the link in the description or head over to Amazon and search for Lou Perez, That Joke Isn't Funny Anymore. And please subscribe to my podcast. Leave a five-star review. Why not? Sign up for my newsletter at theluperez.com. And if you want other ways to support my work, you can join theluperez.locals.com. And of course, be sure to support my sponsors, palomaverdecbd.com. Use promo code Lou for 25% off purchases over $75 and Black Organic Cold Brew. B-L-V-C-K-B-R-E-W.com. Use promo code Lou for free shipping. Thank you.